Okay, everybody, if you're okay with it, let me just go ahead and get started just a minute or so early. Uh, it's so good to see you today. I hope you've had a good day and a good, a good week uh, so far. So happy to see this good number here tonight. We are in lesson number nine, if you want to follow along in your workbook. We are in lesson nine. A few things I want to say before we begin Lesson nine is don't forget about, for those of you who are, who are able to make it, again, I know many of you got busy schedules, uh, but if you're able to make it tomorrow, we have the Zoom study at seven o'clock. Uh, I believe those have been going very well. I've been very encouraged and I've been learning a lot. I've been learning a lot from you uh, and I appreciate uh, those of you who, who've been able to make it. I think we've had some good discussion. We've been averaging between 30 and 40 of our folks. Uh, so I think it's been a blessing, and it's just another tool for you if you want to utilize it to, to help you with your, with your Bible reading each week, okay? Uh, I want to ask you to also pray for, for Sister Holden, Sister Annette Holden, and Brother Dwight uh, passed away a few days ago, I believe on Sunday. So we want to we wanna get around her, want to be praying for her and encouraging her. So will you please do that? Brother Dwight was a good man, and we, we're definitely, definitely going to miss him, but we're also happy for him. That, that he's with the Lord. And then I want to th thank the shepherds. I don't thank them enough publicly, but I want to thank them for just uh, being so wonderful and for seeing the value in a class like this. I really, really appreciate them and appreciate how they want to stick with the Bible. And it means a lot to them that the congregation is fed with scripture. And I am blessed to be able to sit in on meetings with them. And I know for a fact that they love this flock tremendously, every member of this flock, and they're always trying to do what's best. So please always encourage them as they do a very, very challenging work. Let's bow our heads and we're gonna get into our study tonight. Let's pray. Holy Father, uh, we pray, Father, that you will bless our period of Bible study as we continue studying the authority of the scriptures and how to be accurate with the scriptures and apply them properly. We pray, Father, that you will especially bless this period of study and bless our young people. We pray for Sister Holden, Father, as she uh, grieves the loss of her husband. We pray, Father, for her that you would encourage her and comfort her and use us to be an encouragement to her at this time. We're so thankful for the hope found in Jesus the Christ. We pray your hand of blessing upon the men who leave this church in Jesus' name. Amen. So where are we right now? Well, right now in these series of lessons, we're in lesson nine, we're in lesson number nine, and we're considering how we can know when examples in the Bible are binding. That's what we're considering right now, and that's not really something that brethren really talk a whole lot about. You may have heard many things about examples and implications and direct statements, but, but never some maybe diving deep into examples and when we can tell they are binding. And so remember some of the things we pointed out on Sunday, there are many examples in the scriptures, many examples in the New Testament, and we are supposed to follow examples. We as Christians are supposed to follow approved examples. And we said approved examples because there are a lot of examples that are not met with God's approval in the Bible. And so we want to follow approved examples. And so the questions we wanted to know was what approved examples include things like eating the Lord's Supper in an upper room. That's something we don't do. But is that an approved example, a binding example? What about preaching the gospel by ship 
a preacher preaching till midnight, like we saw the Apostle Paul do, someone dying in church. We have an example of that in the Bible. And so and then saluting one another with a holy kiss. So those are some some things that we want to think about. And again, God certainly authorizes by approved examples. But the question we really want to consider is when there is something done in the New Testament, when we find a practice being done by the early Christians, by the apostles, is that example always? And that's the question. Is it always binding? Does every example both bind and limit? By bind, we mean do we have to do it? By limit, we mean are we restricted to doing that and we can't do anything else? How can we determine what examples are binding or incidental? By incidental, we mean it's insignificant to the main thing at hand in the text. So those were, those were the main points of this, particular, of this particular lesson. Now, remember this. Remember there were some key factors that we needed to determine when trying to figure this out. The first one is when we see an example in the scriptures, when we see an example in the New Testament, does that example harmonize with the rest of the Bible? Is it in harmony with every other text in the scripture or does it contradict other texts? Does it contradict what we find in the gospel? Remember, the Bible has to harmonize. The Bible has to be in complete harmony within itself. We can't use passages to conflict other passages. So that's a question that needs to be answered. Is the example the same in all cases? In other words, is it uniform? You know, sometimes people wear uniforms to work. They wear uniforms to school. Does it look the same? Every time we see a practice, is it being done that way every single time? So that eliminated, if you remember, Paul preaching by ship because we find Christians in the Bible proclaiming the gospel, doing evangelism, and going into all the world in other ways beyond a ship, right? They go, they, sometimes they walk, sometimes they go by a chariot, they go many different ways. So that eliminated Paul's example of going by a ship from being a binding example. Third question, can the example be applied in all cases? This is the test of universality. Is it universal? Can the example be, do be done everywhere? So that eliminated Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, where we find Christians leaving Jerusalem to go preach the gospel. That can't be applied in all cases because not all disciples live in Jerusalem, right? In fact, in the New Testament, not all disciples live in Jerusalem. And so that example is not binding because it can't be applied in all cases. And then, does the example have a material connection to the thing at hand? In other words, is there a special significance to the example? Is the example significant to carrying out maybe a direct command of God? Is it related, directly related to the main thing that's being considered in a text? Or is it just something incidental? Just something incidental, not really significant to the main thing at hand. Now, these are key questions that must be answered when trying to figure out if an example in the Bible, in the gospel, is binding. And unless you think that these are questions or principles that are only to be applied to religious things, let me show you how my family and I, and we do this unconsciously, but we apply these same questions every single day. We do this every single day. You see, my wife and I, and me as the leader of my family, I have certain examples that I set 
that are binding, that are binding in my household. Now, your household may do things a little bit different, but as the leader of my house, I have certain things I do, certain examples I give my children especially that are binding upon them. And they know that. And they know that by answering these questions. Let me give you three things to think about here. The first one is praying before meals. That's, that's a binding example in our house. We pray before our meals. So how can my kids know that without me having to tell them? Well, does praying before meals harmonize with every other principle we have in our home? It certainly does. In our family, we try to serve the Lord. We value prayer. We talk to God. We try to love God. We love the Bible. There's nothing about praying before meals that contradicts anything else we do in our home. It harmonizes perfectly with the principles of our home. Is it the same in all cases? Is it uniform? Do we pray before every meal? We absolutely do. There's no exception. Every time we eat a meal, we're going to pray. It is uniform, the same in every case. Can it be applied in all cases? Can we all pray in our family? We absolutely can. I can pray. Faith can pray. Sean Michael can pray. Janicia can pray. We all can pray. We all can pray in this family. And does the example of praying have a material connection to what's the main thing at hand? In other words, is praying directly tied to the meal? It certainly is. That's why we're doing it, because we're about to eat a meal. So my kids, without me even having to go through these four things, know they know by now both of them. At 13 and 7, they know that in this house, it is required because of our father's example and our mother's example that we pray before we eat. Let me give you another one. Buckling up. Buckling up before we go somewhere. That's a binding example that I set before my children. So does that harmonize with the other principles in our home? It certainly does. In our house, we want to be safe. We believe in safety. We don't promote things that are not safe. And we also promote following the law. We want to be law-abiding citizens. So asking my kids or setting the example of bucking up for my children does not contradict any other principles in our home. Is the example the same in all cases? In other words, before we go anywhere, do we always buckle up? We absolutely do. I don't care if we're just driving up the street to get the mail. We're going to buckle up every single time. Can the example be applied in all cases? In other words, can everybody in the car buckle up? Absolutely. I can do it. Janicia can do it. Faith can do it. Sean Michael can do it. We can do it in every vehicle we have. Finally, does the example have a material connection to the thing at hand? In other words, does buckling up tie directly to the trip? It absolutely does. That's why we're doing it. We're buckling up because we're about to go somewhere. So my kids, by looking at that example, can understand that buckling up, that's binding. That is something our father is set as an example, and our mother, that's a binding example. One more, and this is a big one for me, taking and putting away shoes. Now, I don't know about you, but in our house, we like to keep a clean house. I am a neat freak, big time. I don't like a dirty house. So I don't like kids coming in the house just taking their shoes off and laying on whatever they want to lay on, or walking around scuffing up my floors. I don't do that. We don't do that. Now, you may do it different in your house. We don't do that. We don't do that in our house. We don't do that. So how can my kids know that that's binding? 
Well, does that harmonize with the other principles in our home? It certainly does. We promote a clean house. They know their father likes things clean. I don't like toothpaste left out. I don't like toothpaste not being cleaned up after you brush your teeth. They know their father is big on cleanliness. This is not in the Bible. Cleanliness is next to godliness, but it should be. Should be in the Bible, but it's not there. But they know that, that, that's, that's a, that principle harmonizes with what they see in the home. Is it the same in all cases? In other words, do they have to do that every time they come in the home? Yes. I don't care if they're just walking over to get the mail. I don't care if they're coming home from school, getting done playing basketball, whatever they're doing, they got to take those shoes off every single time. Everybody does it. Thirdly, can everybody do it? Can I do it? Can Janicia do it? Can Faith do it? Can Shawn Michael do it? They all four can do it. Everybody can do this. And it's doing that connected to keeping the house clean. Well, in my view, it absolutely is. It absolutely, that's why they're required to do it. So what I want you to see is these are principles. These are principles that we use all the time when setting examples for people that we're leading, that we're trying to get to do something and understand that, that it is required that you do it that way. It is required that you do it that way. And these same principles go with the Bible. They go with the Bible. So let's look at some scriptures, okay? And I want to see what you think about this. Thank you for being so patient with me tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, I'm not taking so many comments right now because I really want to establish what the scripture says and see if we can get a good understanding, but I will give you a chance in a moment to, to make some comments on this. So let's go to Acts 20. Let's, let's talk about the one we talk about a lot. You know, if I, was to take a, if I were to take a poll up tonight, and if I was just to go around the room or just ask you to write on a sheet of paper for those of you who are New Testament Christians, you know, is taking the Lord's Supper every Sunday binding? I'm pretty sure the vast majority of you, maybe all of you would say, yes, yes, that's binding. Okay, I agree with you. I agree with you on that. But do we know why it's binding? Do we know why that's binding and why the early Christians being gathered in an upper room is not binding? Let's talk about it. So we go to Acts 20 in verse 7. In Acts 20 in verse 7, the Bible says, on the first day of the week when we, so notice how Luke is now speaking in the first person. So that means that he's with Paul now. He is traveling with Paul at this time. And he's an eyewitness. He is writing about eyewitness things, things he was part of. On the first day of the week when we were gathered together, to break bread. Now, the breaking of bread in the, in the New Testament many times refers to partaking of the Lord's Supper. Context determines that. And in this case, we see that this is a worship assembly. So they're gathered together to break bread, and Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. So let's go through these questions and see if we can figure out biblically if taking the Lord's Supper every first day of the week, on the first day of the week, is binding. Does what we find here with these early Christians, does them partaking the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week violate or contradict other passages? Anybody got an answer on that? Does them taking the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week contradict 
anything else we find in our New Testament. What do you think? It doesn't. Michelle is absolutely right. Don't, don't ever speak low when you got it right. You don't have to. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It doesn't. It doesn't, viol- it doesn't harmonize any other passage. We don't find Christians in the New Testament. We're talking about Christians. We're talking about people who are part of the church. We don't find them taking it on any other day besides the first day of the week. Someone says there's only one verse that tells us when they took it. Okay, that's the point. How many times has God had to say something for it to be true, Right? So we find only one example of them taking the Lord's Supper in an assembly, and it's on the first day of the week. Brother Don, you have your hand up, sir. Yeah, go ahead, sir. The next statement is, is the one I'm thinking of. Okay. You're talking about the next one here? Okay. So is the example the same in all cases? Go ahead, sir. You want to say something? You just mentioned there's only one statement, but in harmonizing with Scripture, what happened in the Old Testament? The Sabbath. Setting it up on the first day of the week, you have established your time interval, and you've established in when that when in that time interval it occurred. That's a great point, Brother Dunn. And so the next part there, that's that's great stuff there. So let, let's let me elaborate further on that. So the first question, does the example harmonize with the rest of the Bible? It absolutely does. We don't find by us taking the Lord's Supper, us as a church, every Sunday doing that doesn't contradict anything else in Scripture. Doesn't contradict anything else with scripture. Secondly, is the example, the second question, consistent with other examples? Well, as Brother Don just said, there's only one. <laughs> and you can't contradict something, there's only one. There's only one example. So that's uniform. Now, if we had three or four different examples, then we could compare those things. Well, we only got one. We got one. And so it is consistent. Because there's only one. Can the example be applied in all cases? In other words, is there a first day of the week everywhere? Been to Africa, three countries in Africa. They took the Lord's Supper. The Christians did. Guess when they took it? Zimbabwe, one of the poorest places on the planet. Guess what? They still got a first day of the week. Botswana's got a first day of the week. Tokyo's got a first day of the week. Israel has a first day of the week. Mexico, first day, everywhere has a first day of the week. That, doing it on the first day of the week, can be applied in all cases because everywhere has a first day of the week. Now, the first day of the week may start at a different time, right? But it's still going to be a first day of the week somewhere, right? Every place has a Sunday. Fourthly, is the first day of the week, does taking it on the first day of the week have a material connection? In other words, is there any significance to the first day of the week for Christians. What do you think? What are some of the significant things about the first day of the week for Christians? Okay, Don says the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was raised on Sunday. He was raised on the first day of the week. The Bible makes that very clear. John chapter 21, John chapter 20. He was raised on the first day of the week. So that's significant to us because that shows that the Lord God accepted the Lord's sacrifice. What else was done on the first day of the week that has significance to Christians? When you look at Pentecost, when you look at Pentecost, Acts 2, 
took place on Pentecost, right? When you look at, when you count 50 days after the Passover, it always falls, no matter what, on a first day of the week, every single time. So the church is established on the first day of the week. Why did Paul delay his journey? I mean, he's in a hurry in Acts 20. He's trying to get to Jerusalem. But he waits seven days for some reason in Troas. Why can't he do like a lot of Christians do and just say, I'll just take it at home. No big deal. Just take it with some friends. I'm out, in the, in, out on the, on the uh, cruise ship and me and my wife just take it here on the boat. Paul didn't do that. Paul waited seven days to be with Christians in an assembly and he wanted to be there on what day? Paul thought the first day of the week was a big deal. And he wanted to be with Christians, not on the boat with just him and Luke on the first day of the week. Does that make sense? So when you look at these questions here, taking the Lord's Supper the first day of the week passes all the tests. It passed every test, and that's how we know it is binding because it passed the test of an example being binding. It can be applied in all cases. It's the same everywhere in the Bible. It's uniform and harmonized with the rest of the Bible. And there is significance to the first day of the week for God's people. Let's go to the next one. What about the next part, though? What about Acts 20, verse 8? Because this is the one we got to make sure we get right. Because we, we may be in sin if we're not doing this on Sunday. It says there were many lamps in the upper room. So they're not just taking the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. They are in a specific location. They're in an upper room. And it says we are gathered, we were gathered together. You know what that's called? That's called an assembly. That's, in a, that's a church assembly. So how do we know we're not in sin? Because we're not doing it that way, because we're, no, we're not in the upper room. I mean, y'all back there may seem like y'all in the upper room, but I don't think that really qualifies still. Not in the upper room. So let's talk about that a little bit. Does this example harmonize with the rest of the Bible? It doesn't. It doesn't. And it particularly doesn't harmonize with what Jesus taught. Look in your Bible, John chapter 4. Jesus taught something in John 4 that we need to consider when he was talking to the Samaritan woman. Remember what Jesus taught in John 4 in verse 20. Remember him and the Samaritan woman are having a conversation about worship, and she's asking Jesus about location. Isn't that what we're talking about? Where is the right place to worship? She wants to know that. In this case, do the Jews have it right by worshiping in Jerusalem, or do the Samaritans have it right by doing it at Mount Gerizim, where their temple was? And Jesus is going to tell her here that the Jews have it right and the Samaritans have it wrong. At this time, location did matter. It mattered where you worship God. Worship was to be done in Jerusalem, at the temple. And so John 4 and verse 20, she says, Our father worship in this mountain. She's pointing at Mount Gerizim. And you people, you Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men are to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem Neither in coming with neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship God. There, Jesus is saying it's gonna come a day when location doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're in Jerusalem or in Mount Gerizim or in Phoenix. It's not gonna matter. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews. In other words, we got it right, you guys got it wrong. You got it wrong. But an hour is coming now is when the true worshipers, 
We worship God in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus is saying right now location matters. But there's going to come a day when it didn't matter. And that day is today. Doesn't matter where you worship. Doesn't matter if you worship in this church building and an upper, with an upper room at somebody's house and an open field. Doesn't matter if you worship in Phoenix or Jerusalem. Location doesn't matter. So that doesn't harmonize. That does not harmonize with the rest of the Bible. But what about the next one? Uniformity. Is it uniform? Well, no, it's not uniform because in the Bible, not only do we find Christians worshiping in an upper room, you know where else we find Christians worshiping? At the temple. The early Christians were very Jewish. And we see that because they still went to the temple and they were in Solomon's porch. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. <coughs> Acts chapter 5, and verse 12 says that Solomon's porch was where the early Christians gathered to worship. That's a large area at the temple complex, and the early Christians gathered there to worship. So it's, it's not uniform. We got Christians worshiping all over the place. In some cases, we can read, read about them worshiping in people's homes. Philemon had a church gather in his home. Priscilla and Aquila had the church gather in their home. It's all over the place. Next part. Is a universal. Can there be an upper room everywhere? Oh, yeah, there can be an upper room everywhere. Yeah, you can have one. Practically, you could. You could. And is there? Yes. Which upper room? Second floor, third floor? That's another thing. Too many variables. Too many variables. That's a great. Mike says, Mike says, too many variables. Variables here are how many lamps? How many? What upper room? Third, fourth, fifth? Too many unanswered questions. I like that. And for an example to be binding, you can't have that many unanswered questions. So if you are going to build an upper room, let's say everybody can do it. So we got to know how many we talking about here, right? That's a great point, Mike. That's actually going to tie to the next part. Let's keep going here. Is there any real significance to the upper room in the text? No. The significance in the text is the Lord's Supper. And when to take the Lord's Supper. Together in an assembly on the first day of the week. The only re reason in my understanding that that upper room is even mentioned in that text is to emphasize what happened to Eutychus. Eutychus died because he was tired, probably was a slave. And he fell from the third loft, probably broke his neck maybe, but he died. That's why that's mentioned there. Luke is setting it up to let you to dramatize and to really get you to focus in on what happened to that man so the miracle of Paul can really be emphasized when Paul raised him from the dead. That's what's going on there. It has no real significance to what's going on with the Lord's Supper. So the answer to that question is no. We're okay. Because there's too many unanswered questions Jesus said location doesn't matter. And we got the Christians in the New Testament worshiping all over the place. They're all over the place. And let me say something about this last thing because I don't want to run out of time here because many of you are probably here tonight because <laughs> you want to know about Romans 16, 16. You want to know some Romans 16, 16. So let's just read that text again. And I, and I want to say a few words and then I'm going to give you a chance to make your comments, okay? So if you got comments, just don't forget them. Don't forget your comment, okay? You've been very patient with me, and I appreciate it. 
in Romans 16, 16, Paul, speaking to the church at Rome, says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. So I want to say a few things about this text, okay? I want to say a few things about this text. First, I want to say that when studying a text like this, and we don't too often really look at this text. I think there's a reason for that. Our customs are a little different here. But when considering a text like this, we're trying to figure out, is that something God wants us to do? Should I go to Don tonight and give him a big old kiss and say, hey, brother, Don probably punched me in my face if I did that. But we're trying to figure out, should we do that? Well, let's, let's start with this. We need to consider something called audience relevance. You ever heard of audience relevance? What relevance would this have to the original audience? And that's something that really needs to be considered. When reading the Bible, we got to understand that these are real people that Paul or Peter, whoever is writing to. And they got this stuff first, okay? And before we try to figure out what it means to us, we got to first figure out what it means to them, okay? Because they're the first ones getting this stuff. And when Paul is first writing this, he's thinking about them because they're going through specific problems at that time. Now, we obviously studied it today, and we, we're trying to make application today, but if we're going to make the right application, we got to first understand what it means to these people. we got to figure that out. How would the original audience have understood what Paul said there? Well, I submit that they would have understood exactly what Paul means there. They would have understood that Paul, with that commandment, with that statement, is regulating something. He is regulating a custom. He's regulating a custom at this time. You see, in ancient times, in the ancient Roman world, greeting each other with a kiss was very common. There are places in the world today where that's common. You know that? Where are some places where that's still common today where they greet each other with a kiss? Italy, big time. Argentina, somebody say Argentina. Greg says Argentina. Portugal. Portugal. So many of you know of places, maybe you've been to places like that, where you go there and you see that, that's kind of weird to you. Because where you live, we don't do that, do we? We know when I was in Africa preaching, you know what the men do there, what their custom is, is they hold hands. So I'm in Africa, I'm 24. And, and, and this, this uh, boy about 20 or so, he comes to me, he wants to hold my hand. He wants to hold my hand a long time, way more than I'm comfortable with from where I'm from. You understand what I mean? But I can't insult him because that's the custom. You understand? You know what they do in, in, in Zimbabwe when you go preach the gospel? And we would never do that here. The men sit down while the, in the worship assembly, but the women stand. They stand the whole time and the men have the seats. That is their custom there. That's their custom. So Paul here is regulating something that was customary. It was a customary greeting in ancient times to kiss when, when greeting. Secondly though, let me say this. And I want to go with what Mike said. And Mike, I appreciate you bringing that up, sir. Me and Mike did not collaborate ahead of time. But Mike is right on the money with this. Just like Mike said about the upper room. There's a lot we don't know about this custom. 
from what Paul is saying in the text. Paul leaves out a lot. Now, evidently, he assumes that they understood all of this. But, he, if, but if it's binding, there are a lot of details left out. Example, how was this kiss done? Who, who was it done to? Was it men to men? Was it women to women? Was it men to women? Was it men to women and kids? There's a lot of details left out of here. Secondly, how was it done? Okay, we're supposed to salute each other with a holy kiss. So what should I do to Lance? Do I kiss Lance on the top of his head? On his cheek? In his mouth? <laughs> I'm just saying, but you get it though, Lance. You see what I'm saying? If we're going to, on the hand, yeah. If we're going to do this, and this is binding, how do you do it? Where do you kiss exactly? The text doesn't say this is assumed that this audience got it with the custom of their time. But if it's for us, there's a lot of details left out. Thirdly, there's a lot of things that, that this doesn't go with on, on what we got on the, on, the, on the slide. And the two things I see a big problem with is, are this. The two big things I see is in the Bible even, brothers and sisters, it's not the same in all cases. The early Christians, when we study Acts, greet each other many times, and sometimes it is with a kiss. But other times it's not. Well, it's, not the, it's not the same in all cases. Even in these times, there were many different kinds of greetings. But even beyond that, the main thing I see here is that fourth one, the material connection. You see, the main thing that Paul is talking about in verse number 16, the main thing he's considering is holy greetings. Okay? We focus on the kiss part, but that's not the main thing under consideration because there's too many details left out. The main thing under consideration is how you greet each other as Christians, no matter what your custom is. Whatever your custom is, when you greet each other, it needs to be, it starts with an H. It needs to be holy. So if you're in Italy, Argentina, Portugal, and in, in, in the Roman, some parts of the Roman Empire, if you're going to do a kiss, it needs to be a holy kiss. And they understood their procedure on that. They had a specific way they did that that Paul said they understood. And he didn't go into the details on that. But in our case, in Western culture that we live in, we don't go around kissing each other, do we? I kiss my wife and my kids, but that's about all you're going to get from me. But you know what I do do? I hug. I'm from the South. Some of y'all may be like, why should I always hug you, folks? I'm from the South. That's how we do it. You know, we, we hug up a storm. I shake hands, right? May do a little fist bump to you. We, do, we got different ways we do greetings. But however we greet, it needs to be holy. You understand? I don't need to be trying to squeeze the women. I don't need to be, you know, touching, doing things inappropriate. I need to be respectful and God-like, Christ-like, and be holy in my greeting to my brethren and our culture and the way we greet in the, in the culture in which we live. That's the point Paul is making there. And so the kiss part, it's, it's, it's not material. It's, it's significant to them because that's their culture. It's not to us. The part we need to focus on is being holy in our greetings. Brother Gary, go ahead, sir.
Right, sure. He's setting up those substitutes. Now I urge you, these I've vetted. No, that's the way I see it. I, I could be wrong. No, Gary, you're not wrong on that. That is the context. And there's a contrast there between approved people and disapproved people. Now, as apostle, Paul can put approval on folks and not because he's got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is speaking to him. And the kiss seems incidental. It absolutely is. The kiss is incidental. The, the key is. These are holy people. Keep being holy. But there are some among you who need to be marked. That's verse 17. Who are not holy. This is what you need to do with them. You don't greet them, you know, with a holy kiss. You need to mark them and pull back. That's a great point. Any other comments? Yes, sir, Lance. I'm coming to you, Brother Brian. Yes, please, please. Says, and this is Jesus talking. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also that you also love one another. And I, I think this is the important part here. It says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciple, if you have love for one another. Absolutely. And, and, and I, I, I don't want to dive too deep into this, but... Um, it, it really just looks like to me, without him directly referring to the scripture, that the, that, that was carried forth through into the church. Yes. Um, and that was Jesus's intentions. No, I think that's a good point. I think I think I agree with everything you said. And I think the point Paul is making there specifically is the Christians do need to treat each other right. There needs to be genuine love there, but also have holiness there. Brian, I'm going to give you the last word, and I have some final things I need to say. Go ahead, sir. Just really quickly, I mean, in the example here of Romans 16, 16, a lot of people might come to that, and they might be confused why that shows up on this slide, where what you're talking about here in this whole lesson is about examples. Mm -hmm. In Romans 16, verse 16, that does not sound to me or to most people like an example. Mm -hmm. He didn't say... I kiss everyone with a holy kiss, mm -hmm. right? He's very, very clearly almost directing like this is a command. Right. And so I think it's important when we're talking about some of these things to also make sure that we're, we're very clear on, yes. you know, is this a command? Is this an example? Because there's a lot of other places in the Bible where we could go that look kind of like commands. Right. Right. Are we going to treat it with the rules of an example like we're doing here, or are we going to take it at face value like it is a command? It's at, from my perspective, it's more of a question for this class of like, you know, is, are these the rules for examples? What is this an example or is this a command? Oh, that's a good point, and I'm glad you brought that up. So I'll just say a couple of things about that, Brian. I think there's a, a couple of things I want to say about that. The first thing is think about Acts 20. Go home tonight, if y'all don't mind, and look at Acts 20. When Paul is speaking to the elders there, that is an example of them kissing him. <laughs> they, they lay a big one on him there. So apply those rules there. But 
I think also, though, Romans 16, 16 can be looked upon a command. And again, I think however we treat that, I think there was an example of Christians doing this at this time. You can look at Romans 16 as, as a commandment, but also there are examples of it. But however you treat that, whether you look at it as a commandment or whether you go to Acts 20 and some other places in, in the gospel or in Acts, the point is holiness. That's the thing I don't want y'all to miss. Don't get caught up in the procedure. Get caught up in the holiness. It's the holiness that's the key thing. So I think that's a great question, Brian. I appreciate it. I can see, because it does like Paul is commanding something. Well, Paul is commanding is not kiss each other. He's commanding do it holy with their custom, which we see throughout Acts, was something done all the time. It was done all the time, but it wasn't just done with kisses. Sometimes we find Christians hug, just hugging each other. Sometimes we find them greeting each other, and we don't know what they're doing. We don't know what they're doing. So consider all that. Last thing I want to say real quick, and you had great questions. Everyone had great questions and comments. Go home and do this exercise. I can't go through every example with you tonight. I mean, we could look at Acts 14, 23 on this. Go home and just do the exercise with your kids. I just wanted to give you a few to think about because these are questions I've had from people before. Go home and do all this stuff with your kids, with your family, and see if you can see this. We only have a limited amount of time here. Last thing I want to say is this. Here's the point of this class. Here's the point, my dear friends. There are some examples in the Bible that are binding. And there are some that are not. And the ones that are, from my scene of the scriptures, can be easily recognized. They can be easily recognized. So go home and keep doing this. I can't go. I mean, we can look at 50 others. I don't have time for that. But go home and look at this. And I think if you do this exercise, you'll be able to see this stuff. Okay? So let's stop right there. I appreciate all your comments. Thought we had some good stuff to say. We will start, Lord willing, on Sunday with Lesson 10. Okay? Thank you all so much. Thank you.